0: Well, good morning. Today we are continuing in our series of human, looking at the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and the first three chapters, which tell us so much about what it means to be human. Now, if you have been journeying with us over the course of this series, that you'll know for the last two weeks, we have reached the point in the story where Adam and Eve, the humans that God had created in his image, turn their back on God. That the one thing that God asked them not to do, to eat from the fruit in the middle of the tree in the garden, they chose to do. That they turned their back on their creator, the one who had made them in their image. And if you have been with us for the last two weeks, you know that Judy spoke about how shame came into each of our lives. And then last week, Tim looked at the idea of sin and unpacked that as to how that came into the world and the impact that has for each of us now. And can I just ask you, if you haven't seen those talks, do go back onto our YouTube channel and watch them. They were both brilliant, insightful talks. Now, if you do have a Bible at home, I don't know what it says in your Bible, but in mine, the beginning of chapter three is titled The Fall. Now, I read in a book written by a guy called Stephen Dempster the other day that actually the fall is a really misleading concept. Because when we think of the image uh, and the the phrase the fall, you almost think about someone slipping out of someone's grasp, trying to grab hold of them as they fall away. And so he talks about the idea that actually maybe this passage, instead of being called the fall, should be called the elevation. Because in this moment that Adam and Eve choose to eat from the fruit, the one thing that God told them they couldn't do in this entire creation that he had made for them, they didn't fall away from God. They elevated themselves above God. That In that moment they said, even though our creator has said this thing to us, actually we're going to turn our backs on him, we're going to ignore him. And in doing so, they put themselves as more important than God. That in turning their life on that who had given them life, on turning their backs on the creator of their life, instead they turned to the opposite and turned towards death. This was the point in the story in the book of Genesis that the world as God intended it to be broke, stopped being how God wanted it to be. Now, I don't know about the discussions that you have had in your groups or maybe with others who have been watching and joining us for this series, but many people have had many different thoughts and I know wrestled with different discussions and things they agree with, things they might not agree with. But I wonder if one of the one things that all of us, regardless of our political, our faith, religious, social beliefs, would probably say is that as we look at this world around us, we see a world which is broken. We see a world that is not as we think it should be. It's the reason that we protest, that we campaign, that we do social action, that we feel shocked when we see events happening because we look at them and we say, this is not how we think it should be. So if we believe that the world is broken, which I think probably most of us would say it was, there has to be a point at which it broke, because if there isn't a point at which the world broke, then all we are left with is a fatalistic attitude which says, well, get on with it. This is just the world. Stop complaining that it's broken. Stop trying to change it. Stop being shot because this is just how it is. And if this is just how it is, then what hope do we have for change? And what hope do we have as we live this life? So if the majority of us do believe that this world is broken, that it isn't as it, t- it should be, it should be then can I just say this moment in the book of Genesis makes so much sense? Because this is that moment, the moment where the world stopped being as it should be and something broke. But when we read this passage, as we heard this morning, it's almost kind of not like it just broke like a snap, like a piece of wood that just really snaps in half straight away. It's almost like a brokenness that crept into every single different area of life and of creation. Uh, It reminded me of a story a number of years ago. Uh, John, my husband, had one of his friends around to play video games, as I'm sure many of us are looking forward to doing in um, the months to come. And they were both sat playing video games, I think I was upstairs or something, and they both had a glass of wine down on the floor by the sofa. And in the excitement of playing the video games, one of these glasses of wine got knocked over and smashed all over the floor. In the moment of them trying to then clear up the glass of wine, they managed to knock the sofa, which smashed the other glass of wine onto the floor as well. So by the time I came down, we had floorboards at the time, not carpet. There was broken glass and wine seeping over our entire lounge floor, going through the cracks in the floorboards, just going everywhere. For some reason, they had also both taken off their jeans and were stood in their boxer shorts. I don't know why they'd done that. So I came down to two men in boxer shorts and wine everywhere. It was a glorious picture. But it was a great picture of what, of the wine just seeping into every crack. Just like this brokenness in this moment in the book of Genesis seeped into every area of life. Christopher Wright talks about the four different areas that in this moment broke. So he talks about spiritually. You know, this is the moment in the Garden of Eden where God comes to walk with Adam and Eve, as he had done since the beginning of their creation, and they hide from him. They don't want to be in his presence. So in this moment, we find ourselves alienated from God. We become fearful of his presence. They questioned his truth. They became hostile to his love. And how often we might see that in the world around us. People who question the truth of God, who feel fearful of his presence, who feel hostile to his love. Another area that it talks about uh, being broken is our kind of in our rational thinking, in our thought patterns, in our thought processes. That we suddenly start seeing everyone blaming everyone else. As Tim spoke about last week, that moment when God says, who, who told you to eat this fruit? And everyone starts blaming Everybody. Tim sent me um, uh, an article the other day and there was a quote that really stood out. It said, when we look at the world and see the mess that people have caused, our response is to judge. Because it's so much easier to judge the other things going on around us than it is to look at ourselves and see the things that we are messing up and we are doing wrong. And if we know in in verse 12 of chapter 3, really significantly, so God says to Adam, who told you to eat this fruit that I told you not to eat? And Adam says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit for the tree and I ate it. So often we look at that verse and we see Adam blaming Eve. But let's really look at the words that he says. The woman you put here, she gave me the fruit. God, this is your fault. You gave me an equal, you created her and she did something which I then did. You did this. And how often we can do that as well in our own lives that we blame God. We look at him as the one who is causing the pain and the brokenness and the suffering. The other area, the third area it talks about being broken is physically. When Adam and Eve, when humanity was first created in the Garden of Eden, there's no mention of death. There's no mention of an end to their life. And yet as they turn their backs on the creator who made them, who gave them life, they turn to death. And it says, since it it was from where you were taken, for dust you are and dust you will return. Death enters the world, both for humanity, but also for the world around us. Uh, Right at the beginning of the start of this series, you might remember Nathaniel spoke to us about creation care. That we see so much in this world that we want to change, that we want to help. Because physically so much in this world is breaking and not as we think it should be that now at this point, creation struggles, a brokenness came into creation. And the final area that Christopher Wright talks about is socially, that there is a sense of fracturedness in all of our relationships. We see that, don't we, in the Garden of Eden, between Adam, between Eve, between God, that suddenly emotions and thoughts and feelings and behaviour patterns that weren't there before enter into each one of them. Jealousy, anger fear, lying, resentment, insecurity, maybe things that for each of us we can see in our own selves, behaviour patterns that we know we do not want to have but have become ingrained and have become a part of us. And what's really sad is that only even over the page uh, in the book of Genesis as it goes to chapter 4, we hear the story of two brothers, one who is so consumed by jealousy of the other that he murders him. How quickly it has gone from a place of beauty, a place where none of these thoughts and feelings exist, to a point where two brothers end up killing one another. The world as it intend, God intended it to be stopped being that world in every single area. And for each of us, there might be one of those different four points that really stands out. Maybe there are many that we see in ourselves I would love to be able to wake up every morning and not to have any insecurity or not to compare myself. That's something for me that I know is a pattern that I deal with and I struggle with every day. What might yours be? That thing that you know is not as God intended it to be. And so we read this passage and actually we think this is hopeless. Like a Shakespearean tragedy, if you have ever, uh, whilst at school, had to study Hours of Hamlet and you get to the end and sorry for the spoilers, but everybody dies. And you kind of watch it and you think, well, what was the point in that? But the incredible truth in this passage that on first read can feel so overwhelmingly hopeless and can feel full of despair is that interwoven into this story are God's promises, incredible promises and his incredible commitment to his creation. His promise that he has not and he will not leave his creation. So the first promise we can see in verse 15. So God is saying to the snake, to the voice of evil, the voice of death, who has turned Adam and Eve away from him. He is saying to him, this is what your life is going to be now for what you have done. And God says, and I will put an enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a snake attacking, but they tend to strike the back of someone's heel. And it's so quick and it's in such a moment that no one really often has a chance. But it says in this passage, actually through Eve, someone will come who God will send, who will strike. Whereas the striking happens, will crush the head of the one who struck. Because God promises at this moment, right at the beginning, in the midst of all of this despair, I will send a saviour. I am so committed to you that right now, even though you have turned your back on me, I will not turn my back on you because I'm going to send a saviour who is going to change this one day, once and for all. And if you do have a Bible at home, the whole of the Old Testament, which is about well, not that many pages, is a story which talks about the coming of this saviour. And then as we go into the New Testament, we read of the beginning of this saviour arriving, which we'll talk about in a moment. The other promise that we see is in verse 20 of chapter 3. And it says, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. In this moment when death has entered humanity, death has entered the Garden of Eden, God still gives that promise. There will be life. That humanity will know life again. That there will be a restoration of them being the living once again. And the final promise is God's final physical act that he does for Adam and Eve just before they leave the Garden of Eden. It says in verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. There was a dignity that God did in that moment because they were naked and they were afraid and he clothed them. But there was also a symbolic act that wouldn't have gone unnoticed by those who in later years were reading uh, these scriptures together. Because the second time in the Bible that we read of God clothing his people is in the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible. And in that moment, a God, uh, Adam and Eve, humanity have left the Garden of Eden. They can no longer be in God's presence all of the time. So uh, God promises, I will still dwell with you. But rather than being with all people at all time, he comes and dwells in the middle of the temple, the tabernacle, as it's called at that moment. And there is a, a little section of that place where God dwells. And there are certain people who are chosen who can go in and be in God's presence and bring his presence out to others. And so he calls people to be priests who can go in and be in the holy of holy, as it's called. And it says in the book of Exodus about the priests, this is God speaking. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honour. Tell all the skilled workers to whom I have given wisdom in such matters, they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration so that he may serve me as a priest. There was an importance in clothing someone. God clothing someone put a level of importance on them and who they were. So in this moment of Adam and Eve and leaving the garden, God is not just saying, I'm giving you dignity in your clothes. He's also reminding them of the worth that he gave them when he created them, that they are simply his children. They are made in his image. And even though they have turned their backs on him, that does not change. They are still made in his image and they are still his children. I was speaking uh, with some good friends of um, ours, Dan and Fee Hanscom, uh, about this whole area of brokenness. Me and Fee had long chats leading up to this morning. Now, many of you will know some of Dan and Fee's story. They've given me permission to share some of it this morning. But back in 2019, Dan and Fee became pregnant with some much loved and longed for twin boys. Very sadly, Isaac was born at 19 weeks, but then uh, Joe was born four months later. And if you know Joe, he is a bundle of all things energetic and fun. I was talking uh, to Fee and I wanted to read this morning some words that Fee said to me about Isaac. Because they profoundly struck me about this moment that Adam and Eve left the garden and the promise that God gave to them that you are still my children. And that is ultimately all that matters. So let me just read these words to you. Dan's talk at Isaac's funeral was the most beautiful thing I have ever heard. I never expected to experience something so beautiful at such a sad, painful occasion. There was such love, depth, and wise heart to it. And one thing in particular he said that I think exemplifies an element of beauty in this situation is that meaning, in a sense, of Isaac's life was solely to be a precious child of God, which is somehow extraordinarily pure and beautiful in a way that our lives will never be. I can tell you all the things I love about Joe, his character and his behaviour. Isaac will never be or do anything in that same way. But somehow he demonstrates what is most fundamental and sacred to being human – in solely being a precious child of God, loved by him and us and nothing else, which is both beautiful and profound. When I read those words, I was so profoundly moved at the truth of them, that Isaac is a child of God, that Adam and Eve were still children of God, that you right now if you were sat there and you do not know the truth of this and you have never really understood the impact of what that means let me just say to you you are a child of God loved however broken you are however broken you feel however broken the circumstances and situations you have walked through have been God says you're my child that's it that is all you need to be and I love you for that so deeply At the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, this uh, whole idea of the promises that God gave are summed up in one incredible promise. So just as at the beginning of the Bible we read of brokenness entering the world, we read in the book of Revelation in chapter 21 of brokenness finally leaving the world. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I heard a loud voice coming from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What an amazing promise that one day, everything will be made new. One day, there will be no more brokenness. There will be no more crying, no more weeping. But yet now, we still live in a broken world. Now, we still know that we are not as we wish that we could be. We see circumstances, situations, things in this world, which were not as we would want them to be. But we also live in the truth of the promise of Genesis three fifteen, That one day a saviour will come who will crush death, who will beat death once and for all. Because as we celebrate next week at Easter weekend, God sent his son, God himself, Jesus, came to this earth So that each of us could be back in a relationship with God at all times, in all places, whoever we are, wherever we are, whatever we are going through. In describing Jesus, the book of John, which is one of the Gospels in the New Testament, the fourth book of the New Testament, says right at the beginning in John chapter 1 verse 15, speaking of Jesus, he came as a light in the darkness. When we think about light, and we think about light being really beautiful, light is made more beautiful in the darkness. We don't light candles in the middle of the day. We don't turn our Christmas lights on in the middle of the day. We put them on when it's night because that is when they shine and they radiate the most beautifully. Jesus came to this broken world so that he could make a difference to us here and now, not just in the promise of what is to come of the fully restored world that we will one day live in. He came so that we could have a relationship with him here and now, that he could walk with us in the brokenness, that he could help us in our own brokenness. It talks in the Bible about the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain temple was torn in two that was symbolic of the curtain that went around that little holy of holies the one place where God dwelt since humanity had left the garden of Eden and as Jesus died on the cross that was torn in two to say I am here for each of you I never let you go you walked away from me but I followed you and now I'm here and I'm back with you and I love you and I want to be in relationship with every single one of you And can I just say, if when you think about the Christian faith, you feel guilt, you feel a a sense of, well, I can't ever be that. I can't ever be in a relationship with Jesus because I feel so guilty or I think Christianity makes me feel guilty. Well, then that is not what Jesus died on a cross for. Jesus died on a cross because he said, I know that you're going to get this wrong. I know that you're living in a broken world. I know you're going to struggle with anger, with fear, with insecurity, with jealousy. And I came to take all of that away that everything, those feelings, I would take away when I died on the cross and I rose again and defeated death. He came so that we can reflect his light in this broken world as well, so that we can help change in our own behaviour, but help change the things that we see around us. He came to be with us in the midst of our brokenness. And I just wanted to read one other thing that Fee said to me that really struck me. She said there is sacredness in grief, in loss and despair, in the bad, the sad, the difficult things that we would not we would do well not to just shove away. We can't anyway, because the resurrected Jesus shows up right there in the midst of them. And he's there today, wherever you're watching from, God is with you. Jesus rose from death to say I love you and I'm with you in the midst of your brokenness so that in knowing Jesus we can know the future hope that one day this will all be restored again but in knowing that right now we can be restored day by day by day because God is with us and because he loves us because he loves you. In a moment, we are going to go into a time of worship and then out of that a time of communion where we can really think about what it was that Jesus did on a cross for us. And I'm just going to finish by reading a poem that Fee wrote kind of out of all of the discussions that we had about brokenness, just reflecting on this in each of our own lives. Shattered, like a pane of glass, a universe wide, splintered into countless shards of savage points and fractured light that separate colours, that pierce flesh, that carve up nations that sever women's bodies from their minds and men's hearts from their hands and our souls from the soil. So we bleed and we bleed and the earth weeps and the oceans drown in oil. Old wounds from old blades that refract broken flashes of strange fruit Hanging from a strange tree. But each cruel fragment carries a story, a dark diamond outline where you can trace along its edges, like a jagged map, of where it should be or how it should be. And the dismembered remembers, and we, members of the human race, all have a dream of belonging to a lost Eden, a longing for a lost Eden like a distant, half-forgotten requiem that scored along the edges of the shining pane. And back together, we can peace back together, a luminous, fragile reflection of neonatal perfect- perfection like the world has just been born, that we together, with Jesus in us, can show the world a different way a way where we know we are loved, accepted, where we know simply that we live to be children of God, where we can help bring back the broken pieces of people's brokenness, holding them, loving them and pointing them to a God who in his amazing grace will never let you go.